Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I'll be reading verse number 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight so grateful that we serve a great and awesome God. Dear Lord, we know were it not for you, we would not be here. And we are thankful for your mercy and for your grace in affording us once again another opportunity to come into your house, to sing praises to your name, to bring our prayer requests to you, our burdens, our needs, and then gather around your precious word. I pray tonight that you would use your word in a mighty way to minister to hearts as only your word can do. We're thankful for it, and I pray that you would use it in a special way, and I pray that every heart would be receptive to what you have to say. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We know that even though everything does not feel good, that you have promised in your word that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. And so I pray that you would show yourself mighty and strong as we know you are. Do what only you can do. Save any person who's lost under the sound of my voice. Stir the hearts of every believer and will be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory for you alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. You all would know and have heard me say on multiple occasions that I've always had a liking or even a love for sports, even though, admittedly, I never have been one to play it as much as I would deem to like it. But I like sports and follow it somewhat from a distance nowadays uh, because sports, I believe, exemplify life and what it takes to be successful. Think if you were to examine successful teams, you would find character traits like teamwork, persistence, determination, especially when things go wrong. You also would find that a good team must not be overconfident and complacent, especially when things are going well. In sports, like in life, you're required to understand your opponent and to make adjustments based on their strategy. These are all life lessons that we must implement if we're going to have success as well. But one of the gripping, I believe, and compelling things about sports is its unpredictability, its uncertainty. The fact that you cannot and should not be able to predict 
the outcome. That is why if you follow sports and you've heard of match fixing, that is why uh, that uh, attempt to do such is often treated with disdain and harsh penalties because it destroys the integrity of any sport. But regarding the aspect of uncertainty, I, I know we listen to talk shows and fans and commentators who would debate all day long who, about who will win. And, but the reality is no one can tell for certain until that game is played. But while some of us may place much of our emotions into sports and the outcome, I want to say tonight that there is a much more significant and impactful battle that is taking place. This battle is a battle for the heart and soul of mankind. This battle, my friend, has eternal consequences. And so to lose in this battle is to lose lives forever. Now you talk about huge stakes. This battle is what the Bible refers to in Ephesians chapter 6 as spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. John, in 1 John chapter 4, as we began looking at this chapter, he warns believers of the importance of being keenly aware of this persistent battle. And we've studied this book for well over a year now, and we've seen the prevailing theme of Christian distinctiveness. The need to be different from the world. And as such, I've labeled this series the Christian's signature. Why? Because a signature uniquely identifies you. As such, as believers, our actions, our attitude, our approach to life ought to uniquely identify us as born-again believers. You believe that? Say amen. But if we're going to be distinctive, if we're going to be different from the world, if others who are uh, not believers are going to be able to identify us, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to know who the enemy is. We're going to have to understand his strategies, his tricks, his traps that are set to bring about our downfall because make no mistake about it, the enemy does not play fear. So don't expect him to. But we're also going to have to know where we stand so that we are not straddling the fence and confusing and compromising our own team. We're going to have to understand where our strength comes from so that we can engage the enemy and successfully win the battle. And so in 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John begins this chapter by letting us know the importance of being able to discern the spirits. We looked at this last time and we saw that he announced in verse number one, listen, you must have some awareness of what's happening. You have to have some awareness of this war that is taking place and to be able to understand that not every spirit is of God. 
So you have to have an awareness. Listen, it, it, it is detrimental to, to a believer. You'll end up being a casualty if you are clueless to the presence of the spiritual warfare and its impacts in our lives. So there must be an awareness. This awareness ought to lead us to perform an assessment. He says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. In other words, test them out. He says, because there are many false prophets that are gone out into the world. When you test them, you come to a conclusion as to what sort they are. That's affirmation. To be able to conclude adequately. And then we saw there must be an admission. We see that in verse number 3. He says, Whereof ye have heard that it should come, speaking of Antichrist, and even now already is it in the world. John is setting the stage here for us to understand. My friend, make no mistake about it. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. Whether we admit it or not. But tonight I want us to examine verse number 4. Because after you are you have discerned the spirits. Here's what you must do. And this is so vital and critical in any battle, any war, any contest between opponents. Here's what we must do. Determine your stance. You must determine where you're going to be standing. You must determine uh, what side you are on. Now, notice with me, firstly, that this verse number four gives us some good news. Anybody craving for good news? While verses one to three kind of helps us to remain cautious and to realize there's a war that's raging, verse number four, I tell you, it is some good news. And so jot this down. When you determine your stance, hold your head up high, recognize that we, in our position as children of God, we have been guaranteed and have been given success over the world. Amen? Now, we're only going to touch one little portion of this tonight. And as we celebrate our success over the world, keep in mind what he just said in verses 1, 2, and 3. Understand that we have with us and for us, a powerful association. Amen? That's all we're going to be able to touch on here tonight. But notice verse number four. He says, ye are of God. Now, those three words might seem minor to you, but that's major good news. Ye are of God. Now, we just got done telling them, listen, they are all kind of spirits. I mean, they are evil spirits. They are good spirits. I mean, be aware. Listen, there's a battle raging, but understand, you are of God. Little children. And have overcome them. He's saying to these saints of God that despite this battle that is raging, you are born of God. God. What a blessing. And of course, he is speaking here, no accident that it is the Apostle John, 
the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, chapter 3, which I want you to turn there, he's speaking of spiritual birth. He's speaking of the new birth. And so you turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 3, the same writer as 1 John. And we understand the background to this passage is Nicodemus, man of the Pharisees, in verse number 1, a rule of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night. And I want us to understand when John says to believers that you are of God, this is a tie that cannot be broken. He says in verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when John says in 1 John chapter 4, you are of God, he's saying, listen, you are born of God. Verse number five, 4. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Here John is emphasizing to us uh, through, of course, Jesus' words, that we're talking about spiritual matters. So when he says you are of God, he's saying you are born of God. This gives further evidence and credence to eternal security. When you are born into a family, you cannot be unborn or unattached. Listen, you are born into that family and you cannot, and you will not change it even if you would like to. And so John says you are of God so that we could understand the significance of the one whose side we are on. My friend, this ought to be motivating to us that we belong to the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of this association, get this, we have already overcome the enemy. Look back at verse number 4 of 1 John. He says, Ye are of God, little children, and have what? Overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. My friend, we have already overcome. No, this is unlike sports. This is unlike politics. This is unlike any earthly battle. When it comes to these earthly uh, endeavors and these earthly competitions, so to speak, listen, there is some suspense regarding the outcome. I mean, that's the reason why, I'll admit to you, uh, when I was growing up and, well, younger, when I followed sports more closely, I just couldn't deal with the suspense. I mean, it was even comical. 
I mean, I used to get so nervous when my team's playing, that when my favorite batsman was batting. I mean, I would go in another room, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, and then come back afterwards and ask what happened. Because I couldn't deal with the suspense. But my friend, when it comes to this spiritual battle, the suspense is taken out. Why? Because we have already overcome. Why could we be so confident? Because there is no one greater than our God. Just recently, over the last couple of weeks, I've been, I guess maybe reminiscing a little bit, and I've been watching clips of the West Indies cricket team back in the glory days when they couldn't be beaten when you had the the master blaster Vivian Richards and that team of just all-time great players no one could beat them I mean it was like a foregone conclusion But as great as those teams were, and they dominated for what? Well over probably 15 years or so. Eventually, their time came to an end. But my friend, in this spiritual battle, when it comes to our God, our God's reign will never, ever, ever end. He can never be overcome. He can never be defeated. He has eternal dominion over the enemy. And as such, there is no reason for suspense. When you say, Pastor, why do we have all this stuff that's happening? Well, we are fighting the enemy now because we have the victory. You say, How is that so? The victory was accomplished when Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, that is why he said, it is finished. Why? The price for sin had been paid. And then three days later, he provided the evidence that the victory had been wrought when he got up from the grave and proved that he had conquered sin once And for all. Conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And my friend, we must understand this in the light of the spiritual battle in which we are engaged. That's why the Apostle Paul so passionately spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the importance of the resurrection. I want us to turn there. Because when we understand this, It will transform our mindset about the fact that we are truly winners. We have already won. We are on the winning side and we are fighting from the victory, not for the victory. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We don't have time to read all of these verses, but this is a tremendous Chapter and passage in the word of God to read from beginning until end. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for the sake of time, verse number 20. It says, but now is Christ risen 
from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, he's saying, listen, of all individuals who have died, and they've died all because of sin. Jesus, in conquering sin on the cross, when he got up from the grave, he was the first fruit. In other words, it was like when you go to a tree and you get the first fruit, normally that would be the best one, uh, the most, uh, uh, the plumpest one, whatever it is, you got the best of the best, uh, and then all of the rest, uh, when you go to that tree, you got the evidence of what kind of fruit will come after. So when you got Jesus being raised from the dead, it's evidence that we will also be what? Raised from the dead. Now look at, I want you to hold your page there and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 31. Now, this is once again is being written by the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 31 to 37. He's talking about how we are victors. We are conquerors. We are overcomers. Look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If what? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also what? Freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is what? Risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh also intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, this passage is so important for us to understand. Now, Paul here is saying, we are killed all the day long. We are called as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, we are going through difficult times. And oftentimes, we look at death as the worst thing that can happen to us. And I can't blame us. Can't blame you. Right? We can't get accustomed to all the, the death and the, 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 the destruction that's happening even in our present world. We, no matter how many times a person dies, we grieve. We mourn. Why? Because we can't get accustomed to it. Death is this enemy that, that knocks us down. But I'm here to say to us tonight that even when death might seem to knock us down, be assured it might knock us down, but it can never knock us out. Amen. Why? Because we are fighting from a position of victory. Jesus has already conquered death on the cross. And that is why back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to look at verse number 26. That's why I had you hold your places there. All right? Look at verse number 26. Now look at verse 25 for continuity. Keep in mind that we read verse 20 
And that's why I want to encourage every person to read this entire chapter because it gives you a perspective on this thing called death. And to recognize that even when somebody gets sick, when somebody dies, when they die in the Lord, listen, they have not lost the battle. Look at verse 25. For he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We are on the winning side. Jesus has already won. He has already conquered death. He's already conquered the grave. He's already conquered sin. And even though we still die, eventually, one of these days, death itself would be conquered forever. And that is why the Apostle Paul concludes this chapter with this crescendo in verse number uh, uh, 51. It says, well, look at verse number 51 to do the end, which we are so familiar with. We understand the context of this chapter in light of what he, we have already read. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible, this corruptible rather, must, be, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, that enemy that we just hate, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, therefore, when you know all this, you know how the story is going to end. You know that Jesus has already conquered death and sin and the grave on the cross. Uh, He's the first fruits. And believe me, the other fruits are going to come after. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's why in 1 John chapter 4, John says, when he says, ye are of God, little children, that is exciting news. That's a powerful association. That's an association of victory. That's an association of being an overcomer. So when we say we are on the winning side, it is absolutely correct. And it's something that we ought to hold on to. And even when our faith is shaken, and even when it seems like we are burdened with all of the tragedies and the difficulties of life, The battle 
is not over. And I'm so glad that we have been promised victory. We can be assured of victory. Because guess what? God is and will always be undefeated. Amen? And so as we deal with the grief, the mourning, the pain, the suffering of this life, let's take solace and comfort in the fact that we are overcomers. Not through our own strength, but through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has already demonstrated the fact that he's supreme and that he overcame sin, death, and the grave. And as we are found in him, we will experience the same glorious resurrection for those who die in Christ. I know we want to be here and be the ones that are caught up. But just in case that doesn't happen, we are still on the winning side.